Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hey, Night Fans, Jeff Sharon here. I just wanted to pass along a quick update. Uh, as soon as we finished recording the last segment, which was on the NBA draft, we had two bits of news drop that we wanted to get to you on uh, on this Friday afternoon. First of all, Taco Fall has signed a Exhibit 10 free agent contract with the Boston Celtics. So uh, Taco will go to the Summer League with the Celts. Um, an Exhibit 10 deal is, it can be converted to a two-way deal if um if the franchise likes what they see, so, and then in addition, and this was, uh, and this was awesome. Chad Brown has also been signed by the Orlando Magic, so Chad will be with the Magic's uh, summer league team as well. So, so there's your four NBA signees: uh, B.J. Taylor and Chad Brown to the Magic, uh, uh, Taco Fall to the Celtics, Aubrey Dawkins to the New Orleans uh, Pelicans. So, uh, we wanted to get those updates. They they dropped literally as soon as we were finished recording the show. And uh, late on Friday afternoons, but we want to get uh, but we want to get that up there for you, so at least you were updated. It's in the second segment. We do the bannies in the first segment, and the NBA draft breakdowns in the second segment. So if you hear anything speculating about Taco or Chad, that's the latest update on them. Taco to the Celtics, Chad to the Magic. All right, let's dive into the show. How's it going? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. And it is, well, it's kind of a twofer. This is our 2019 Black and Gold Banneret Postseason Award Show. We reveal the winners. You probably already know the winners anyway because it's posted on the site and whatnot. But we reveal the winners. We talk about the results. Uh, and we give out our postseason uh, awards. And then later on we have, of course, we're recording this late, later than we usually do, about a day later. It's Friday. Uh, we're putting this out on Friday because last night was the NBA draft. Uh, no UCF nights got taken, but there's some hot and heavy free agent news that's happening with all of UCF's uh, perspective or with all of UCF's uh, senior potential NBA prospects. So lots to talk about here. Uh, Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez are here with me. Gentlemen, how are you? Great, fantastic, lovely. Got the tuxedo. Like going? staying up till two, three in the morning to find signage of free unsigned. I mean, <laughs> like, why can't they just have this thing on a Sunday morning? I mean, you know why? Anyway, um, here we <laughs> for all the latest. Make sure you log in on blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret, uh, and uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackandgold. Banneret. All right, it's our third annual Black and Gold Banneret Awards. Let's go ahead and get started with the Women's Team Coach of the Year. We had five nominees. Head, uh, our volleyball coach, Todd Dagenet, Emily Merritt from UCF Golf, Becky Kramer from Rowing, Brian Kaniko from Tennis, and Coach Abe from Basketball. And the winner is, with 41% of the vote, 
Brian Canico, UCF Women's Tennis, American Athletic Conference Champions, NCAA Sweet 16. Um, he edges out Todd Dagenet, who had 26% of the vote. Coach Abe had 20%. Uh, and I guess we'll just go right through this. Uh, guys, agree or disagree? Absolutely agree. Uh, this should be only the first of more uh, honors going to the women's uh, tennis team. I agree. Uh, we, I agree, but I mean, there was no bad choices there. I would not have had any issues if it would have gone that, a lot of different ways, but I think they got it. I, I'm, I'm fine. With that it. one was tough. The newcomer of the year was tough, and I, and I think a, and a, a, quite a few fans came back and said, man, the team of the year one was tough. So that's our last word. We, let's go over to the men's team coach of the year. Uh, we had, four, uh, again, four nominees here. Uh, Scott Calabrese of soccer, John Dawkins of basketball, Josh Heupel for football, and John Roddick from tennis. It was a two-horse race, but the 2018-19 Black and Gold Banneret Award for Men's Team Coach of the Year goes to Johnny Dawkins, who led UCF to their first ever NCAA basketball tournament victory. Johnny had 57% of the vote, so he had a majority. Josh Heupel had 41%. This one was pretty tough, wasn't it? Oh, Eric, I thought you were going to start since I started the last one. I, I was just going to brag because I had Dawkins there. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to say this. I, a little, let's give a little more love for Scott Calabrese than 2%. I mean, I, this, again, it's popularity of the sport has a lot to do with this a lot, but he did a heck of a job. We're taking it for granted, but, you know, they won the conference championship, got a bye into the second round of the NCAA tournament. He did it. To turn that program around so quickly in just year two, a phenomenal job. So I just want to give a praise to calories, but obviously, yeah, I agree with Dawkins. He should have gotten it. Yeah. Yeah. And I voted for Josh Heupel just because it was still his first season, even though it seems like he's been here for a decade. And he basically repeated Scott Frost, but without the bowl game win. I mean, basically everything that Scott Frost did in his first, but in his first year. And I, think I, that's, that's, you know, I voted for Heupel too, believe it or not. Uh, but Johnny Dawkins yeah. wins it with 57%. So congrats to Johnny. Here we go. Comeback Athlete of the Year. We had three nominees. We had Aubrey Dawkins, Taco Fall, Tolo Makore, all three basketball players. Aubrey Dawkins wins this one going away 66% um, of the vote after he missed all of 2017-2018 with a shoulder injury. Comes back and uh, and was UCF's second leading scorer uh, and, uh, and darn near sent UCF to the Sweet 16. No surprise there really, right? Well, this is really the only nominee that we could really think of when we tried to pan on the category with other nominees, but this was the only one that we, we really had any conviction with yeah. if we could back the curtain a little bit. Out. I think that's true. I think that's true. Breakout Athlete of the Year. This one was – I was a little I, – I, nothing against the winner. I was a little disappointed in this result. Uh, we had four nominees, Greg McRae for football, Cal Jennings in men's soccer, Ray Alejo for baseball, and Richie Grant from football. Greg McRae wins breakout athlete of the year at 57%. Cal Jennings got 32%. I voted for Cal. I, I as great as Greg McCray was. Don't don't no one get me wrong on this. Greg McCray was fantastic. Cal Jennings was the second leading scorer in the country in soccer. As great as Greg McCray was, I mean, Cal Jennings' season was transcendent. So uh, Eric, why well, are you going to try and convince me that I'm wrong here or what? No, I, I, I voted for Cal, but I also I don't have a problem with the fans voting for Greg McRae. Nobody expected Greg McRae to have the. This was a tough category. I mean, I'm a little actually surprised that Bryant's guy, Murph Richie Grant, who I think you might argue might be the best all around football player on the roster, came out of nowhere. First team All Conference only got nine percent of the vote. I thought he would get a little bit more support. It was interesting that McRae kind of dominated that. 
I would have gone with Cal, but I understand why they got I me. Mean, Greg McRae came out of nowhere, and I, I thought Richie Grant would have gotten some more votes. That makes sense to me. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe there's a little bit of a splitting of the vote there. You know, guys can only pick their favorite football player. Uh, but, you know, McCray's a fine pick. Again, a guy who wasn't really expected to be a major part of the offense at the start of the year and really wasn't a major part of the offense until the middle of the year and then absolutely became a supernova. Um, so this is totally yeah. understandable. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, nothing against Greg McCray. I just, man, Cal Jennings. And this ended up turning, I think the – the recurring theme here is men's soccer. Boy, they they kind of were on the short end of the stick here on quite a few of the awards that they were nominated for. Senior Leader of the Year. We have B.J. Taylor from men's basketball, Matthew Micah from baseball, Jordan Pingle from volleyball, Tolo Omakori from women's basketball, and Titus Davis from football. And the winner by far and away, B.J. Taylor. I thought that the fans got the top two right between B.J. Taylor and Jordan Pingle. Um, but BJ won 60% of the vote, Jordan with 27. Um, how do we feel about that? Totally fine. I think BJ Taylor exemplifies everything you want in a team leader. He's sort of somebody that like, he's sort of, I I feel like leader is sort of something that is synonymous with him. And I think he knows it. Like he describes himself as a leader, like Mm. everything about him is just, he's, he's a reason he really is. He is what this category is made for. I feel like he was is because I, he was vis- more visible than than of than than Jordan, which is unfortunate because to me they're two sides of the same coin. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. No, I think you nailed it. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, men's basketball obviously more popular than volleyball, and in fairness, did go deeper in the postseason than volleyball. That said, my only thing is. Yes, I think BJ's leader, but I think you can make an argument that men's basketball had multiple leaders. I mean, Chad Brown, I've always, you know, is kind of the intangible glue guy, if you will, that brings passion and and, and helps lead the way in that regard. And Totko is in his own way lead. So, I, whereas I think Jordan Pingle was clearly the leader of the volleyball team, and again, I think it helped That's the young point. roster lead them to a conference tournament championship that nobody was expecting. Whereas men's basketball. You know, we were kind of expecting to make the postseason. But, uh, you, know, I, you know, Brian makes valid points with BJ. I mean, I can't, you know, knock it. I mean, that's uh, from that standpoint. So, I, but I, 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 I'm with you, Jeff. I would have gone with Pingle. Okay. Newcomer Athlete of the Year ended yeah, up being. I did, actually. Yeah, I did, too. Newcomer Athlete of the Year ended up being the closest vote out of all the 14 awards. We had Trey Nixon from football, Elizabeth Moon from women's golf. McKenna Melville from volleyball, Andres Hernandez Betancourt of uh, men's soccer, and Nandini Sharma of women's tennis. And the winner Great vote. by Great three percentage points was McKenna Melville of UCF volleyball. Forty percent of the vote. Came from behind, right, Jeff? Okay, uh, it was it uh, the day before. It was a dead heat, and McKenna got the last couple of votes she needed um, to push herself over the top. Uh, Elizabeth Moon. So, so close. But this is one of the closest votes I think we've ever had. Um, and uh, and McKenna gets it. No argument from here. I mean, you, could, you couldn't you could go wrong with you. I think it was pretty much between these two um, uh, as far as who was who was going to win the award. That ended up to turn out to be largely true. Um, but McKenna wins it in a freshman season to have 500 kills. Uh, only the second player at UCF to record 500 kills in the rally scoring era. Um, that's something to behold isn't it yeah no i mean absolutely i mean absolutely yeah, I, 
Well, I'm so confused about who's going first on these things. Sorry, I, I need to I need to do a better job of I know I, I need to do a better job of captaining this thing. Go ahead, <laughs> Brian Murphy. What do you think? <laughs> I'm very I'm very, I, I'm very pleased with the result. Just because McKenna we, we chronicle McKenna's dominance. Uh, you know, it, oh, of course, of uh, the last podcast we had, we introduced the nominees. She was just like she was remarkable as a freshman, but also to see her and Elizabeth Boone finishing in front of a football player, Trey Nixon, with yeah. all you know. Obviously, we talked about how football is more visible; it's the most popular sport on campus, and for good reason. But for, to see them get respect more than a a you know an offensive football player, I think it's it's it's, it's commendable. That's that's good to see, Eric. I agree. I mean, I voted for Moon, but I'm not. I mean, you flip a coin. I mean, I would have been fine if they would have tied for the the, the award. To be honest, I mean, I that, that would what you know from that standpoint. I think they're both a tremendous. Impact. I'm just glad that that they voted very well, and and you know they they both got the acknowledgement they they both did, and um, you know I'm very pleased with it. I would have gone with Moon if you want to nitpick, because I think she helped that make that program a national championship contending program by her arrival. But at the same time, Melville obviously is a stud player who might be the best all-around athlete, female athlete on campus. So I don't have a problem either way. Alumni of the year. Uh, this oh, is a yeah. new category, and this is one of the things. That, see, this well, is where this is where like good voting just went out the window. Here. We need to. Yeah. This is where I feel like we need to have a handicap on football, right? I mean, this is usually the case in a lot of in the case of a lot of these awards. Um, we had Jermaine Taylor from basketball, Alini Reyes from soccer, Sophie Howard from soccer. Uh, Kat Souza from soccer, uh, Traquan Smith uh, from football. Traquan Smith won the award with 56% um, of the vote, beating out Alina Reyes, who had 35% of the vote. Now, uh, all right, now I find this interesting. Okay, obviously because Traquan was a football player, you know, that carries some of the weight. I wonder if, so Alina Reyes did not start in goal for Brazil's first game in the Women's World Cup. If she did, I wonder if she would have gotten more votes because she would have been more visible uh, at about the time we did the poll, right? I don't think so. I think this was a biased football thing. Um, oh, hey, it's Traquan. We have great memories of Traquan. You're right. I mean, you you know who really got kind of hosed here is Kat Sousa. She's been the one that's actually been playing. For yeah, Brazil she's been playing field. pretty well. So you, you can make, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, she can, you can make that case. and. You know, Traquan, I mean, I'm going to defer to Murph because Murph follows this on a weekly basis from a fantasy standpoint, so he knows every yeah. stat. And we had Traquan on the show, and I like Traquan. Don't get me wrong. But sorry, I mean, his impact was not that big. It was not that big. Um, in fact, he didn't have the year that some people thought he would have considering he had a great situation there. Um, it should have been one of the women's soccer players who were just playing in their marquee event of the of their sport so i i think they got this one wrong i will throw a late one that could have gotten in if we would have had more time bo taylor shout out to bo taylor we hit a home run uh last week with the oakland a's right murph he's up in the big had a, uh, is now up with the a's yes just his first career home run uh was it last week or earlier this week yes so no i agree i i and you know i agree with everything you said there Traquan had a couple of big games. He obviously had the big Monday night game where he was the recipient of the touchdown in which Drew Brees set the record for most touchdowns. I, I think know. I think uh, that play alone is the reason why I won the award. Or for, you know, yeah, so, uh, yeah, great. But, like, overall, Traquan had, like, two really solid, productive games. Otherwise, he was just, you know, an, another guy, another another rookie trying to find his way. 
Um, meanwhile, Alini Reyes and all of these soccer players were named to basically the highest honor that you can receive in, in women's soccer or soccer in general. They are part of the World Cup. It's gigantic. Plus, like I said, Alini Reyes made the least of it like Hall of Fame. That's, that's a huge honor as well. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of bias here. It's unfortunate because Traquan had some moments, but nothing that approaches to what was bestowed upon and what the soccer players earned. I voted for Jermaine Taylor. Whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The uh, game of the year, this is where things, I think, got interesting, but, of course, this was was kind of a runaway. It was between the men's basketball game against Duke, women's tennis beating uh, Florida State in the NCAAs, uh, the football comeback against Memphis, 31-30 in the Liberty Bowl, Men's soccer beating UConn in the uh, American semis 3-2 in overtime. Men's hoops beating Houston in Houston for their college game day. And then baseball's 11-10 winning uh, win over Houston on uh, senior day. The men's basketball game versus Duke takes the cake. Um, first time that a game that UCF has lost was named game of the year. Uh, and uh, But uh, totally understandable, 63% of the vote. Next closest was the comeback win at Memphis for 17%. Had a couple people yell at me because we didn't put the American Championship game in there, and I referred them to Eric, who astutely put them in their place. But um, <laughs> I, 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 there, there, there was there was no doubt about this one at all. I think I, it, it does not. it does. I think it would have soured a few people the fact that UCF lost, but I think on balance, fans were like, "That was just an amazing game. It was so worth it." And the highest television rated UCF sporting event in school history. Go yeah, ahead, I, I, I implore Johnny Dawkins to go back and watch that game, although, like you said, this week he probably never will, which is just too bad because <laughs> I've watched that game, I think, five or six times already, and it's just, it is just amazing television. It's amazing hashtag sports. It's, yeah, it was a, it was a Greek drama, to say the least. Eric? From the opening tip, from the opening yeah. tip, from yeah. the opening tip of Taco and Zion in the opening tip, it was phenomenal, and credit to all the fans and, and, and for, for, you know, not letting the, the the last play or the you know the result affect it. It was a phenomenal game. It's a unique circumstances there, and you know the Houston game was nearly the number two pick there. Now, for those you mentioned, yes, there were some people that asked about the championship game. That was a great quote comeback. If you want to say that, I guess that's fine. But it was not a great game. Uh, there was missed tackles. When you, I mean UCF, UCF should get a percentage, okay? UCF should get a percentage of Daryl Henderson's salary in the NFL. Because <laughs> if it wasn't for UCF, defensive performance against Daryl Henderson where they couldn't even touch him because they got so blown off the ball and was not even in position, uh, I don't think Daryl Henderson gets drafted as high as he did to the Rams. So you had bad blown coverages, uh, missed assignments, uh, terrible. Like what? UCF turned the ball over three times in the first half. It was sloppy. Daryl Mack fumbled uh, the ball. Little... Fumbled the ball. I think three times. Did he fumble the ball right. two or three times in the first half? One of them. Yeah, one of them fell on for a touchdown, but still. Right, and, and I told people that were asking this, like, did you guys feel like it was a great game at halftime when we were losing thirty-one fourteen? Was like, wow, that was a great first half. We watched. <laughs> no. no. It was a, not a great game. I'm sorry. And you could, and you could, yeah, in the second half, you could say it was a bad game, even though you said made the big comeback because Memphis was awful. Memphis went into a shell. Yes. Memphis yeah. completely choked that game away. Um, yeah, and so all that has to be back to Like the Duke UCF basketball game was back and forth, punch for punch. Just when you think Duke's going to pull ahead, UCF comes back, 
makes the late comeback. We've got controversy with foul calls. We've got the iconic last play of the game. It's just everything you want in a sporting event. Yeah, it's, uh, it definitely exceeded the hype is what it did. And that's, I yeah. think, w- was one of the reasons why. All right. Play of the year. This one was not close. Uh, we had five. This is this is the one that was the biggest runaway. Actually, we had five nominees. Um, KK Wright's game winning. Shocking that it wasn't unanimous. <laughs> it was almost unanimous. Um, KK Wright's game winning layup and steal versus Cincinnati. Max Stiegwert's uh, golden goal versus UConn. Uh, Daryl Max touchdown pass to Otis Anderson in the American Championship. Dallas Beavers walk off hit against Memphis. And Taj McGowan's seventy nine yard touchdown run on fourth and one in the Liberty Bowl. That, uh, Taj McGowan and Tristan Hill throwing the block uh, win this award with 83% of the vote. That's the highest vote total in any category. Um, what can you really say, huh? No surprise there. Um, it was just one of those, it, it was one of those plays, it was a combination of the decision, the buildup to it, the situation when it took place, and then the stunning result of it um, combined mm-hmm. with the technically perfect execution by the offense on that play um, it, that that resulted in I, th- I think probably the most stunning moment of of the season um, and certainly um, no doubt the play of the year. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. I mean, the majority of the football players that I surveyed said it was the moment that they remember most from this past season. Um, it, it, I, it's, it's funny, you know, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, fantastic athletic performances and really cool games that we've said in this podcast. But really, when it comes down to, like, singular moments uh, of, like, athletic competition, I, I, this is this is it. Like, I can't really – there's nothing that competes to this. We've, we'll talk about great performances and great and, – and, and people who are worthy of – of of accolades but just a singular moment uh this is definitely it yeah and it goes back to i think you brought it up eric you could hear the uh, if you go back and watch that play the shock in dave lamont's voice when when mackenzie milton actually snapped the ball on fourth and one on your own 29 and then a couple of seconds later taj mcgowan is running down the sideline unmolested for a touchdown is just it was it was really just a stunning stunning moment wasn't it it was i mean to go make that play if they don't execute that play if they get stopped there memphis wins that game memphis probably gets scores puts it out of reach ucf's win streak is gone which means college game day never comes here more than likely in fact i'm pretty in fact i know it would so um and you know, and obviously, it kept UCF in the headlines nationally and everything like that. So, it, yeah, I think to me, uh, to me though, that's the moment that yeah may have changed the UCF season. Because here's the thing: if they lose that game, who's to say UCF probably drops another game later on? Because that's usually what happens with teams that have long winning streaks. When you drop that first game, that second game is not too far behind. Yeah, and you know who else? You know, I also I thought that was a big moment for too. This is underrated by that Josh Heupel, because for him to make that call. Yeah. In that situation, and put and put that much of for a first year. How, what game was that? The fifth or sixth game of the year? It was like mid October. Yeah. So yeah. so right about there, you know, uh, right around mid season, uh, with a bunch of players that you know, most for the most part he didn't recruit. For him to look at them and be like, "Yeah, I, you guys got this. I know you do. I have faith in you. Go get it." And then for that well, for that right. decision to come up, you know, f- 
you know, four aces king high. I mean, yeah, that's uh, that. I right, think that's the first time you faced adversity with that team. Yeah, players. Okay, now we got this coach. Do we believe in him? Right. I mean, that you know that that's a very that was a big adverse situation there for for yeah. all parties. Exactly. So, all right. Uh, moment of the year. This one was an interesting one. It ended up not being as tight as I thought it would be. Uh, we had the aftermath of UCF rallying around Mackenzie Milton um, in the week after the USF game. We have men's basketball beating Cincinnati on senior night with Taco Falls family in attendance. Men's basketball getting the first ever NCAA tournament win against VCU. Women's tennis. I added this one late. This was a late addition, an editorial call by me, Eric Lopez. UCF women's tennis beating Florida on college match day on the tennis channel. I added that as a moment of the year. Um, and then the winner with 61% was college game day. Um, no surprise, really, that that was the result. Although I thought that the hashtag 10 HANA stuff uh, event, moment, whatever you want to call it, would have mm-hmm. would have, would have made it tight, but it was 61 to 33%. Um, and I think that everyone sort of understood, rightly so, that college game day coming to UCF as an event was more was about way, way more than just football. It was about showcasing UCF as an institution as a place uh, on a national and really, when you think about it, worldwide stage. It was so big for the university to host College Game Day. Uh, It was big, obviously, to win the game ESPN primetime against Cincinnati in the fashion that they did. It was just, it was a red letter day in the history of the University of Central Florida. And uh, and it it would have been a very tough call for for, for that one, to go against that one. Uh, Eric, uh, I know that you've, you know, we were there. We saw it. We saw the event happen, um, but it was it, it transcended sports. I think that was one of the reasons why it was picked. Absolutely. I mean, you don't you don't have to be a college football fan to know who College Game Day is. I mean, that's an Emmy award winning show, by the way. I mean, that's I think when you know, if, not to get all media business, you know, John Aran on you here, but uh, you can make the argument that the two biggest television studio shows, however you want to call it, in sports right now and perhaps it might go down in history, is inside the NBA on TNT and ESPN College Game Day. And ESPN College Game Day has had a huge impact in college football. Um, Everybody knows about it, and I think to to be on the UCF campus, who would have thought that was, especially with all the dialogues back and forth, oh, does ESPN hate us or this or that? And and ESPN's like, you know what? Here we are. We're right here. We're going to show up. And then then to add to that, you got Kurt Herbstreit, and Chris Fowler, who's going to be doing the game a few hours later, uh, just a, that to me, a phenomenal day and night that, uh, that, that, that that will go beyond this year. That will for the football program and will and for the university to the point where UCF still uses video clips from that episode to promote their program even today. As they should, right, Brian? Yeah, that's right. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a great moment for the for the university as you all laid out. I do wonder though. For the people who did vote for this, I wonder how many of them actually attended the event live. Because That's a good question. watching it watching it on television is such a different experience. It's actually much more enjoyable on television than it is live. Much more. I was completely dead by about the second hour of that show. <laughs> I, I wanted nothing to do with that after about ele- after about eleven o'clock. Um, so 
I think if you watch it on if you watch it on TV, it's a lot more presentable and pleasurable because watching it live is like like how long is this thing going to go on? For? Yeah, I it was just you're you're there just to be there. I think you know, and it and obviously it is always a TV show, but like you said, immersing the country in UCF. <laughs> For three hours on a Saturday, and really for two days, actually, because remember they did the show the day before, was yeah, yeah. such a tremendous yeah. moment for. Which I was there too. That was yeah. fun. That was a I good think, time. Here's the thing: if if you've never been to it, it's cool the first time. Now, to Merce's point, I haven't been a fan of the third hour edition from that standpoint in person. But you know, it is what look, the 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 bot. What they would tell you is, you know, look at our TV numbers, and people would disagree. <laughs> so yes, it's a yeah. better from a TV standpoint. It is uh, definitely much easier. In fact. Um, as I'm scrambling to find this, because I, I know I wrote about it, I mentioned it in the Orlando market. It did a strong number, uh, game day wise. Yeah. And, uh, mm. I think actually, in fact, I have it here. So that college game day of UCF was the most watched college game day episode in Orlando market since the Florida State Miami game in 2013, when they were both undefeated in Tallahassee. Think about that. So, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. To answer your question, Murph, a lot of people did it probably. <laughs> Yeah, uh, performance of the year. Uh, this was uh, there were some good ones in here that, that I was really happy with. Jordan Spicer's complete game in an elimination game in the American tournament. Aaliyah White's no hitter against Coastal Carolina. Aubrey Dawkins thirty two points against Duke and Daryl Max second half. Uh, yes, definitely the second half against Memphis. Um, <laughs> the winner with fifty eight percent of the vote. Aubrey Dawkins against Duke. Um, Daryl Mack was second. Jordan Spicer was third. You know, last night, I during the NBA draft, I went back and I watched Aubrey Dawkins' highlights from Duke. And just, it, it is, the it is if you ever want to show a young player what, what it looks like for a player to be utterly, completely locked in for 40 minutes, it's, it's Aubrey Dawkins' highlights against Duke because he was in absolute total control um, Mike Krzyzewski said he was the best player on the floor, and that was with three guys who went in the top ten in last night's draft uh, going up against him. And uh, uh, it, it was, it, again, I, I could watch that highlight, the, those highlights of him um, on a loop because he was so, so sharp in that game, mm-hmm. wasn't he, Brian? It was, it was something to behold. And there's no argument that he was the best player that day on that floor in Columbia. Uh, even with Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish, uh, he just it was everything looked smooth. And this is a guy also who had battled back injuries late in the year. He was really kind of debilitated, you know, going into a Temple game in which he still scored 36 points, and he fought through that through that injury and some other minor stuff, even up through that tournament game. So um, it, it, all that together, it, it was it was for me. This category had some really good nominees. I'm glad to see Jordan Spicer get a few votes. Uh, but Aubrey Dawkins is, is the clear uh, choice, no doubt. Eric? I agree. Aubrey's the, the clear choice. I do have a couple things on this thing. and One is, I think we had an omission here, and this is just as much as my fault uh, because I didn't bring it up, so I'll take responsibility for it. But I, it, it dawned on me because I started right. I wrote this week on Black and Go Banneret. Uh, I'm starting my top 25 UCF games of the last 2018-2019 uh, athletic year. Just what a banner year, mm-hmm. and I and the first game I brought up was UCF SMU when UCF destroyed SMU 
And Taco Fall, yeah. who absolutely was phenomenal in that game, had a double-double in the first half, 15 points, 16 rebounds at the half, I think. First UC had a 20-20 game. First UCF player to have over 20 rebounds in a game since Paul Reed did in 2001. So I think we kind of uh, – we. I'm not saying he would have won the vote. I don't think it would have drastically affected the vote. I think Aubrey's clearly the choice. Uh, I do wonder if we would have added him where he would have uh, kind of lined up. Would he have maybe gotten second place? or third place. So that's just acknowledgement on Taco's performance against SMU there. And then the other part is, I wonder, Jordan Spicer, had UCF made the NCAA tournament because of that win, would he have gotten more votes? Because that was that's a, a good phenomenal point. performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mer- your thoughts on that, Mert? Since you're at both. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think he would have gotten more votes. Uh, not, not that it would change the ultimate result, but certainly I think he would have gotten more votes because baseball would then more have been uh, in the consciousness of UCF fans longer. We would have pointed to that performance as you know, one of the chief reasons why they're in the tournament. Um, so, yeah, he probably would have gotten more votes. I don't think I, I, don't think I can argue that. But, it's, it, it, again, it's not changing, changing the result. It probably, could, it probably could have. For that to happen, too, Eric, I was just thinking it probably would have required maybe another spectacular performance that would have knocked Spicer out of that slot. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so now we go to the, uh, the, the three big awards. Male Athlete female athlete and team of the year male athlete of the year um i i know you guys are mad at me i I made i made an executive call here because um i was talking with a couple people and i was like yeah you're right so we had six nominees cal jennings of soccer bj taylor for basketball taco fall for basketball greg mccray from football dallas beaver from baseball and mckenzie milton for football mckenzie was the late ad um i thought to myself you know if it wasn't for the injury he would have no question been a nominee without question um and Mackenzie Milton wins the award 46 percent of the vote Cal Jennings had 21 percent Greg McRae had 15 percent obviously the football thing the fact that his football plays a factor into it um I think the after (laughs) I think the aftermath of his injury obviously played into it but but let's but let's let's be honest let's say Let's say he played the the whole year, right? Let's say he never got hurt, and let's say UCF's result was the same: win the conference, lose the bowl game to LSU. Would he not have been a surefire nominee? I mean, to me, I think we we it was a drastic omission leaving him off the ballot. Okay, let me ask. Wait, hold on. Let me ask you this: If Kevin Durant's healthy in the finals, does, do the Warriors not win the finals? That's that's not no. That's that's a straw man. That's a straw man. Here's the point: He didn't. That's the point. He didn't finish it. He did get hurt, and I hate to break it to you. Injuries are a part of sports. It's unfortunate what happened. And let me just say that. No, yeah, that's that's that, that, then you're making my then you're making my point. Yes, injuries are a part of sports. And up to that point, Correct. Mackenzie so Milton had a great you, had a great year. He was worth that he was worth he was worth that nomination, in my opinion. No, he's not. No, he didn't finish the year. So that's what? the point. Kevin Durant didn't win. Otherwise, Kevin Durant should have won the NBA Finals MVP by your logic because the 12 minutes he played, the Warriors were the clear superior team. That's but not he true. didn't. No, that's a straw man. Sure was. They were dominating nope. them when he nope, hit, that's wrong. out. Wrong. You think the Raptors <laughs> win that game? <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying played? that. No, you're, no, I'm not saying – and by the way, I don't okay. think Kevin Durant should have been the, the Finals MVP. But we're talking about a season-long award here. Not a not a series no, no, long you're award. Missing the point. The point is, Tevin Durant got hurt, so therefore that affected the finals. Just like Mackenzie Milton getting hurt 
affects this award. He is not the entity player male athlete of the year. He didn't finish the year. He didn't play in UCF's two most important games of the year. Brian. I, I so okay, so I'll say flat out. I don't care that McKinsey Milton didn't finish the year. Don't care about that at all. I'm judging it based on the performance he's turned in. And the performance he the performance he turned in uh, it certainly when compared to, to Cal Jennings, who deserved this award, uh, although if there's nothing tangible that we give out, I'm just saying, in honor, we, we, we turned it on to Cal Jennings. We could print but out some papers. Look, correct. Know. Just draw it up. Draw up a fake diploma. Like, you know, <laughs> a fake uh, award. But anyway, if we're going to judge McKenzie, we should also we, we just, just fly out. Notice that his yards per attempt fell by a full yard. Uh, his his uh, efficiency was lower than than the 2017 season. His uh, completion percentage fell by 7% points. He was not nearly effective as a runner this season as he was in 2017. I think across the board, McKenzie Milton was clearly not as good this season, this past season, as he was in the undefeated year of 2017. And I, I understand that he's at the high benchmark for himself, but I don't think we can go ahead and, and, and laud him or what is really not even his best season, when there are more clearly deserving athletes who exceeded their previous bests. And, you know, Gray McRae's on that list, and, and Cal Jennings are chief among them. I'll, uh, I'll leave it at this. Mackenzie Milton finished sixth in the Heisman voting this year. In a terrible year in the Heisman! Which, by the way, in 2017, when he was our, our player of the year, our male athlete of the year, he finished eighth. Yeah, because so, it was a better I, I, field. Right out loud. Let's just give him the award next year. Let's just, even though he's not going to play, let's just give him the award since you know he, if you know, if he didn't, if he would have played, man, he would have been the player. Take, the put, put your put your straw man back out in the, back out in the fields. Jeffrey, you screwed here. You screwed Jeffrey, would you, Jeffrey, would you also not maybe recognize that some of that Heisman voting could also be sentimental? Well, of course, Correct. but but that's 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 neither here nor there. You don't get extra. Well, points no, for no, that. no, no, no. You're using it. You're using it as a point to see why he was greater this year than last year. Saying he was sixth and not eighth. I think a lot of the votes he received were in, um, in part sentimental votes for what he achieved, but also what he also then endured. Which again, when we're grading male performance uh, on the field, that really doesn't. That really is not neither here nor there. Yeah, he wasn't going to be in an All-American quarterback, even if he finished out the year. Cal Jennings was an All-American, was a top 15 player in the sport. He was in the Herman semifinalist. Like, let's give the guy a nod here. Let's not vote for the guy because he's the starting quarterback on the most popular sport. He didn't finish the year. I'm sorry. Well, by the way, like, I by the way, I I did, I did vote for Cal Jennings. <laughs> but, so did I. But, but but once you put Milton, you knew he was going to win the award. Yeah, you well, knew he was going to. Well, I love. I, I do love that. I hope. We are all arguing about something that is completely invisible. It's not real. It's not it's, sanctioned. It's not sanctioned by anybody. Yeah, it's I mean, it, not it, real at all. It, congratulations to Mackenzie Milton. Do yourself a favor. Print out the 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 article and put it in a put it in a frame, and you can hang it up. And there you go. As as much no, sorry. As much as I, I don't want to interrupt you before you move on. As much as I believe about. The, the, you know, not voting for McKenzie Milton here and, and, and voting for Cal Jennings, the last three minutes are literally the worst of, of sports discourse. All right, let's finish up real quick. Female athlete of the year. I love you, Milton. <laughs> Female athlete of the year. Uh, KK Wright from basketball, McKenzie Milton for, for volleyball. 
uh, Elizabeth Moon from women's golf, Val- Valeria Zaleva from women's tennis, and the four by one hundred meter relay team of Shania Williams, Sierra Holbeck, Beyonce DeFridis, and Lauren Gallman. Uh, and it's uh, KK Wright winning the Female Athlete of the Year award with fifty seven percent of the vote. I think part of that had to do with the fact that she was that in uh, probably the most visible women's sport um, in women's basketball. But when you take a look at who was who was the who you know carried the banner for women's sports in UCF in terms of their individual performance, KK Wright was just sublime all year, wasn't she, Eric? Yeah, I mean, if she has another year like she did this year, next year, she's going to be in the conversation, if not in front of the conversation, of maybe being the best women's basketball player in the history of the program. <laughs> I mean, that's how good she was this past year. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't have a problem with that because, right, as great as Melville is, you have other players around there that was just as impactful like a Jordan Pingle. Same thing with Elizabeth Moon. Um, I'm glad to see track get 10%. Uh, that, you know, because yeah. there was a late entry. Um, I don't have a big problem with this at all. Um, you could have gone multiple different ways here. I don't have an issue either way. Yeah. Uh, Brian? I, I agree with that. Uh, like, like Eric said, I was kind of glad to see Track get some votes. Uh, that, that was nice to see. But, yeah, KK was at, at many points a one-woman team for UCF yeah. women's basketball and really willed them into the NCAA tournament. And she was be an excellent candidate for back-to-back as well. All right, here it is. Uh, this is best picture. Here we go. Team of the year. Uh, women's golf, rowing, men's basketball, women's tennis, volleyball, men's soccer. The winner with 58% of the vote. UCF men's basketball edging out women's tennis who had 31% of the vote. Um, it was uh, a little closer than I thought. I think You know, usually when you see men's basketball or football up there, I think football was almost it was a runaway winner last year. Um, but you know, men's basketball winning an NCAA tournament game for the first time in school history and treating us to that great game against Duke. They didn't win the conference, but they nearly uh, made it to the second weekend of the tournament, just inches, inches from that. Um, I voted for women's tennis, um, and just because, you know, I I think that because it's men's basketball, they they get the sort of visibility curve a little bit again, but hard for me to argue with it, though, don't you think, Brian? Well, yeah, but I voted for women's tennis as well, and, and we can mention like what UCF basketball did at the end of the year to get into the tournament, right? And the game that's fantastic, but the overall body of work, you can't argue with how, again how dominant women's tennis was for the last you know six weeks of the season into the NCAA tournament, getting the Sweet 16, shutting out opponents. It was dominant, and I think you know they deserve more love here. But I understand why basketball won out. Yeah. Eric? Yeah, I mean, you could say, you know, ten, women's tennis probably should have won it, and normally I would kind of preach with that because, yes, if football and men's basketball are, in the, are nominated, they're going to win. But I understand the vote. Look, this team made the tournament for the first time in 14 years, won the first ever NCAA tournament game in program history, and was within, <laughs> again, an Aubrey Dawkins tip-in. Away from a Sweet 16, maybe yeah. further. I, a a B.J. Taylor running layup that we've seen 500 times in the last four years, right? You know, if if yes. Aubrey Dawkins if Aubrey Dawkins' tipping goes in, actually women's tennis probably wins the vote. <laughs> but I understand the vote. I'm not going to qualm about it. I'm glad women's tennis got a lot of votes. 
And uh, but I understand the vote there. I I, I mean, heck, I'm a, I mean, who, I mean, I think if we would have said this in October, hey, men's basketball would make the tournament and win their first ever tournament game. We would have said, oh, that's a slam dunk team of the year. The credit to women's tennis to making this a debate. Yeah. The credit to mm-hmm. So there it is. Your 2019 uh, black and gold banneret awards. Uh, I'm going to post uh, a, a little uh, the the results from the last three years up here. I think a little bit later on on a page. So, but uh, nonetheless, there you have it. If you have, uh, a, a, and again, thanks to everyone who voted. Um, we appreciate you guys letting us know, uh, what, you know, what the uh, what your thoughts were on this throughout the uh, throughout the year. So, what a year it's been um, for UCF athletics. We're, uh, stick around. We're gonna uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We come back. I got to dip out. Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy are going to talk about the NBA draft, what was and what wasn't. And we got some breaking news also today regarding UCF players um, going into the um, NBA and getting their shot at the association. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, welcome back here to the Black and Gold Banner Red. Eric Lopez here with Brian Murphy. As Jeff mentioned, he scooted out. We really kicked him out for the nonsense of Mackenzie Milton, right? Murphy just kicked him Dad, out. Dad's away. The kids will play. Let's go <laughs> uh, yeah, well, let's talk about, obviously, the NBA draft and UCF's involvement in it because uh, you and I were up late Friday morning to figure out where they were going. No UCF players, as it turns out got drafted. Um, I think we found out around, what, 1.30 in the morning Eastern time that Aubrey Dawkins uh, was signed with the New Orleans Pelicans, and we'll get into the details of that in a moment. And then Friday, uh, other news coming out, Murph, of other signing, including a local guy staying local. Yes, B.J. Taylor, as of, uh, uh, you know, earlier this afternoon, actually, as of about 2 p.m. Friday afternoon word breaks that B.J. Taylor has signed on and will join the Orlando Magic in their summer league coming up here shortly, but it's it's a great fit. It's not Eric. When you've got a Boone High School grad, a Orlando Magic fan, a Trace McGrady uh, a fan, a guy he idolizes, plays at the college in Orlando, and now will get his first pro opportunity with the hometown team. Uh, I mean, how does this not fit perfectly? It is, and on the court, I think it's a good fit. I mean, the Orlando Magic, and for those that don't follow me closely enough, I do cover the NBA on a side. I've covered it since 05 for various organizations, currently doing it for MetroSource, so I cover the Magic on a regular basis. And the Magic are thin at the point guard position. I mean, DJ Augustine is their starting point guard. Then you got guys like Isaiah Briscoe as among their backup point guards. So I actually think for mm-hmm. BJ Murph, this is a good spot for him. We'll get to that, but let me let's first address no UCF players drafted. That was the speculation. A lot of people thought Taco Fall might get drafted. He was probably the popular vote as far as the most likely to get drafted of the group. Uh, yes. It turns out he does not. Uh, any? I mean, are you? What's your reaction to none of the UCF players? Personally, I'm not surprised that they didn't get drafted. I'm actually was more surprised at the hype that Taco got towards the end. 
which probably yeah. led us to believe and maybe even led him to believe that he was going to get drafted. He was actually there in person in the stands watching it. Um, I wasn't as shocked because I still question where Taco fits in the NBA landscape. What was your reaction? Yeah, I think it's true. I, I, had seen, I think I had seen more hype uh, around Taco in the past maybe 10 days. I really thought in the last – I think we asked two weeks ago, I, I was almost dead certain that Taco gets drafted. I maybe even said that on this podcast, that Taco gets drafted. However, just combing through all the mock drafts and the analysis and the draft rankings, he really had fallen out of most of them. All of the reputable ones basically did not have him included. And so, and, and then, yeah, you know, I think we were kind of suckered into, you know, eating too much of the hype. And now it looks like that we're coming back to the reality of where does Taco fit in the NBA? This is why teams frown upon him because there's really not a spot for a, you know, a guy who relies on his size more than that, more than his athleticism. I mean, he's a paint player only. He does not shoot. He's a decent rebounder, but for his size, you expect him to be a little better. Obviously, he can be a fantastic rim protector, but if that's the only thing he can really do to help your team, then he's probably not worth the top 60 pick. Unfortunately, uh, you know, because of, I think because of our allegiances, our biases, very apparently, uh, and some of the buzz that Taco got coming out of the NCAA tournament and over the last month, I think we, we kind of, you know, made ourselves believe something that, that didn't end up being true. And we probably should have seen coming all along. If this was the year 2000 draft, I think he gets drafted. Yeah. Maybe he gets drafted in the first round. The game's, yeah. the game's different Absolutely. now. The game is different now. Uh, like you mentioned, you hit it on the head, and, and I've seen it in person. The big man today's role is completely different. Uh, you, as a, as a center position, you have to shoot from the perimeter. Look at all the bigs, you know. They have an outside game. Nikola Jokic, uh, Marcus Gasol, uh, Brooke Lopez, DeMarcus Cousins. It can go on and on throughout the list of the NBA. The game has changed where now all five guys they try to get on the court can shoot, um, which means – as a center, you can't just live in the paint anymore. You got to guard outside, and if you can't score in today's NBA, you're going to be left wide open there. And I think Taco's limitation offensively is a question. I think his limitations is he athletic enough to stay with a center in the NBA, guard him in the perimeter is a question, and he has an injury history. So I think all those factors is the reason why he ended up not getting drafted, and I just don't think he fits in today's NBA. I did think he might got gotten picked because of the hype and the name, and you could always stash him there and be an ambassador, but clearly um, that was not the case. Um, let's get into BJ since that is the most recent signing, and I, and I teased that a little bit. I think BJ Taylor is in a great spot with the Magic. I, me, I was starting to talk. DJ Augustine is their starting point guard. He uh, had a good year for the Magic last year, but not really any, anybody great. Isaiah Briscoe is like among their backups. I think if B.J. Taylor has a good summer league, he has a legit chance here to impress the Magic and make this roster here, Murph, because they are thin in the backcourt, in particular in the point guard position. Yeah, I mean, you, and you can speak to the fit more than I can. But I can definitely say with, with B.J., you know, I think the reason why he's only a signee and he was not, you know, in the draft, he's, he's an undersized guard. At, at, at the yeah. NBA, you know, he's definitely at 6'2", he's undersized. But what he is, he's, he's a pretty broad kid. He's also an extremely tough kid. He loves to drive the lane. He loves to draw. He loves to get fouls. Uh, he loves to go to the line. I think those kind, those, those are skills, and that toughness uh, is rewarded in the NBA. Uh, you know, you want to draw fouls in today's NBA. That's really what James Harden's game is all about when he's not shooting threes. Uh, BJ's a good team leader. We, we 
talked about that, you know, in the earlier segment about him being just a fantastic locker room guy and also a team leader. But he can really run a team. He can run the pick and roll. He's a, I would say, above average three-point shooter. He's not great. He's not lights out. You know, Harvey Dawkins is a better shooter overall, but he's, you know, he's, He's capable enough to be an offensive force in the perimeter. So he does a lot of a lot of things well. He does a lot of things well. It's just, you know, probably his size, his, his, just his diminutive height and his age probably can hold him back a little bit. But you know what? If, if he goes out there and he shines in summer league and shows that toughness, that, that, that leadership, and hits some threes, then, yeah, you're probably right. He, he, can, he can definitely make a, a rush that's thin at his position. Do you can he? What? How do you feel about his jump shot? Do you think it'll translate to the NBA? Because as a point guard with his size, you mentioned, I agree with you. His size is definitely an, a detriment to him uh, because yeah. this, this league keeps getting bigger and bigger every year. Teams are looking with yeah. wingspan. I mean, that's a popular name that you use in drinking games and the drafts and all that. But people are looking for yep. big size guards, and I think you're right. The size is a factor. The two questions I have for you: Can his jump shot? translate in the NBA can he be a perimeter three-point shooter in the NBA level consistently and number two can he guard because you look at a guy that made a big factor in the NBA finals Fred Van Vliet was undrafted Wichita State but what got him into the league was he could hit the perimeter shot and he can guard you like he was guarding Steph Curry throughout that finals and chasing him down can BJ Taylor uh, how do you feel about those two aspects of the game in the next level yeah I know I think it's great it's great uh, comp. It's, it's the same player that Johnny Dawkins mentioned when I talked to him earlier this week. When we talked about BJ finding a fit, Johnny's like, look at Fred Van Fleet. It's like Van Fleet, talk about age. He's 25 now. He turns 26 yeah. uh, uh, next year. I mean, it's uh, in the middle of next year. He's he's an old guy. You know, he's he's old. He's undersized, only six foot. You know, BJ's taller than him. Um, but yeah, what does he do well? He hits threes and he hits well. He's a three inch guard. Uh, I don't know if I've seen enough from BJ to where I think he's that great. He's not that. I I, I know that BJ Taylor at his best is not as good as what we saw from Fred Van Fleet this year at his best as a shooter. And I do want to see more from BJ. Also inside the perimeter, like he needs to hit. I mean, I know the mid range game is kind of going away, but he really, you know, other than a floater and some and some baseline stuff, he really doesn't have much of an offensive repertoire. You know, below the three point line. And then defensively, you do wonder at his size if he can be that great. I don't think we saw that. I think there were better on-ball defenders uh, for this team this year at UCF. Aubrey Dawkins, Terrell Allen was better. Deion Griffin was better uh, as a defender. I don't know if BJ's up to that level of defense either. So I think Van Fleet's a good comp, and yet BJ Taylor's sort of like a poor man's Van Fleet. Just to go over the Magic roster, by the way, in full detail. So, DJ Augustine obviously was a starter. Other point guard, they had Michael Carter-Williams, who they picked up late in the year last year, really helped them make the playoffs. But we don't know what his future is with the Magic. That's uncertain um, as far as point guard. Remember, they traded for Markel Fultz, who was the number one pick two years ago. So he's kind of a project we don't know. They have Jerry and Grant, who's just a, you know, whatever – a name that might be refreshed, uh, Troy, Cop- uh, Troy Copain is on, is on the roster. Remember, former Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Bearcat. So, yeah. it, it, so they have a lot of point guards, but they don't have anybody great. You know what I mean? And so that's why I say BJ has a chance to make that team if he has a great summer league. Um, you know, that's right. the, that's going to be the key factor for him when you have guys like uh, – and the Magic have signed guys – 
from the summer league to be on their roster. Uh, you know that that that's you know they did that last year with the point guard position, as I mentioned. So I think those are the questions with BJ Taylor um, in that regard. And it'll be interesting to see if in, in the summer league. And keep this in mind for people because I've covered many of these summer leagues. A lot of times, even if it doesn't work out with that specific team. Uh, that you're in in summer league. A lot of times guys will play on a summer league team, not make it with that team, but they still get looked at by other teams. So even if it doesn't work out for BJ, if he plays well, maybe another team gives him a look. Uh, the G League could still be a, a factor for BJ if, it doesn't, if he doesn't make the main roster and things like that. Um, and the other thing is with free agency about to start in a week, things could change in a dime. So – yeah. Uh, those are some factors to keep in mind. And as you know this, with your beloved Lakers, they're going to be looking for cheap contracts. So, oh, baby. <laughs> you know, so a lot of times, you know, opportunity. And the reason I bring that up is let's bring, uh, you know, let's bring up Aubrey Dawkins, who was the first to mm-hmm. sign. Um, he signed with the Pelicans at like 1.30 in the morning Eastern. That's why I told you, Murph, to stay up another hour when you asked me about it. Like, because I had a feeling. I was, I, was I was drinking coffee at around 12.30. That's uh, great. Uh, but int- I was really fascinated by him being with the Pelicans. Uh, and, and, and this is the other thing. There is an advantage. This is the advantage of not being drafted. Some people are like, well, is, isn't it not better better off being drafted? Not necessarily late in the second round. You're better off being unsigned sometimes because you can control where you're going, whereas sometimes you get drafted late in the second round, it's a bad situation, and you have no chance to succeed. So um, – I found this move interesting because the Pelicans obviously have a lot of young talent on the roster already with (laughs) the trade with the Lakers, which I'll defer to you, (laughs) Mr. Laker guy, to break all that down on the roster standpoint, (laughs) since you know the pretty much the Pelican roster pretty well, better than I do. Um, Yeah. But what's your reaction to his move there? I'm not surprised he didn't get drafted. And I think you and I, I'm a Dawkins uh, uh, believer, and I think he can still contribute in the NBA. But I understand the red flags that the league has. He has an injury history with the shoulder, which is a question. He is, what, 23, turning 24? 20. No, he's turned 24 yeah. already. Which in the NBA, and don't you know, I'm not going to get into it in detail, that is like old age in the NBA. They love 18 to 21-year-olds. Even if you have a torn ACL, they'll take you in the first round, even though you, know, you probably shouldn't. But So that, that, that's against them, unfortunately. Well, who are you talking about there, Eric? Who, what team possibly be talking about there? <laughs> and team in our 407 area code. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, so there, there's that. Those two, two things alone are, are red flags. And then there's a third red flag that I know you've brought this up with Jeff, I think, in past episodes is his jump shot is is shooting. Is it going to be consistent enough in the NBA? Because as much as I liked Aubrey and you liked Aubrey, as great as he was against Duke and as great as he was against Temple at the end of the year, that wasn't always showcased throughout the year. There was games where he wasn't even noticeable on the court. Right. And and Aubrey, I should just say the way I'm looking. I see a lot of guys talk about shooting and say, you know, I was in a rhythm, you know, I've been recently, or, you know, I'm in a slump. Aubrey doesn't look at shooting that way. He really just looks at, like, you know, hey, the shots go in or the shots don't go in. Every game's different. You know, nothing I can do to control it. The shots go in, the shots don't go in, which is sort of a weird way to approach it because so many other guys look at it differently. Um, but, but I do think, yes, at times it was inconsistent. The shooting was inconsistent. But we've saw games in which he took over the game with his shooting. He was unstoppable from the corner, from above the elbow, uh, at the free throw line. You know, I think the, the, the problem with Aubrey, besides the age and the injury history, is, you know, he doesn't create his own shot. 
Yeah. He needs to come off screens. You know, and, and really needs to get good passes to, to, to shoot uh, open shots. He's not going to drive on you and, and create his own layups. You know, and really move to get his own shot. He he will move without the ball, but you need to feed him. Um, but I think at some point, he, I don't think there's any doubt. I think Eric will agree. He has the best chance of lasting in the NBA because this is what they look like. He is a lanky, mature. 6'6", six, six, 3-and-D wing. Yeah. I mean, I know the NBA is populated with these guys to the brim, but this is what NBA is now. They want guys who can guard different positions, which he can do. He's a very good on-ball defender. He's a very good defender. He played a lot on, on Zion Williamson against Duke in the tournament game and, did, and held himself pretty well. He, he can shoot the hell out of the ball on some nights. He just wants to be more consistent. And if it is, then he's definitely an NBA player. Um, so, I think he's had the best chance of making it. I understand the red flags, um, but if I had to bet, who's going to have you know a five or six, seven-year career out of this UCF team? There's no doubt it's Aubrey Dawkins because he kind of checks all the boxes that you want in an NBA player. Agreed, and that's why even though Taco had all the hype and and all this stuff, I kind of agree with the order of the NBA signings here with Aubrey being the first to sign and then BJ second before Taco because I think those two have a better chance of contributing in today's NBA better than Taco does. So I actually, I think that's kind of right in that regard. Now, the Pelicans is fascinating to me because obviously that's a headliner. There's the obviously juicy storyline that he's reunited uh, with Zion Williamson. Uh, that'll yes. pro- that's going to be a huge storyline in the summer league because you know, first of all, you know the Pelicans are going to be on primetime uh, bank it, okay? okay. Um but let me ask you about this because you are a Lakers fan, for those that don't know. So that's why – um, so you know this <laughs> roster actually probably better than most because they got a lot of Lake former Lakers there. And my only interesting thing is I don't know if this is a good fit for him as far as keeping on this team. Now, the positives are he's going to be on a showcase team like the Pelicans in the Summer League, so there's going to be a lot of eyeballs there. And I think that's part of this that's going to help him is there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on that team throughout Summer League, so a lot of people are going to notice, hey, this guy, check out this Aubrey Dawkins guy. So even if it doesn't work out in New Orleans, he might get another look somewhere else. Uh, so keep that in mind as a positive. And he's going to be surrounded by good players, so there'll be a good comparison to see how he fits instead of being played, instead of being on a Summer League roster that's with a bunch of ten, uh, a bunch of guys that have no chance of making it in the NBA. But I don't know if he can make crack the Pelicans roster here long term the way this roster is constructed right now, considering they have Lonzo Ball at the point. Uh, mm-hmm. They drafted Nikel Alexander-Walker, who's also kind of a combo guard with Virginia Tech, point or two. They've got still Drew Holiday, who's a, a borderline all-star who could play off the ball. He'll probably be the two as of now. You've got Brandon Ingram, who's kind of the three, right? The small forward who has upside there. Josh Hart is a two guard. What, what do you see here as, as you know some of these guys? I, do, do you think he has a shot to make this roster? Or is this like one of those things where he's going to get his look here as a Pelican, but he's probably going to be somewhere else by fall? Yeah, I think he's going to – well, if he makes the roster, it's because he just absolutely shoots the lights out over the summer. Yeah. And he sort of he sort of earns his way even more than his defense playing up. If he just goes bananas in the summer league and just makes big shots, that's going to earn him a ticket. But I mean, I think of this roster, and I understand like he could earn a bench role behind Brandon Ingram. But Brandon Ingram can switch. He can shoot. He shot like thirty nine percent from deep uh, a year ago. Not not the passes, but 2017, 2018. So he can shoot. He plays better defense. He's longer. He's bigger. He has a better offensive game. He can create his own shot. 
he's sort of like, like he's like a supersized Aubrey. Uh, Brand, I mean, uh, and it's not like it's not a knock on Aubrey. We're talking about the number two overall pick in the draft just a few years ago. But there's a there's a guy on the roster who is uh, better than Aubrey in most every way, except for probably shooting the point. So you know, obviously Aubrey's only a bench guy at best, and I just feel like the roster they wanted, to, the roster they wanted to construct, which is going to be super young and super athletic, kind of showtime. I don't know if Aubrey fits in there. So I, I think you're right. If I had to bet, I don't, I don't know if Aubrey lasts in New Orleans because of what the construction's like. But, I, I, you know, he can really do himself well and probably latch on somewhere else to, to a place that has more open spots, less, uh, you know, less certainty with what the roster's going to look like. He can do that. Like I said, there's no doubt. He fits in the NBA somewhere today. Yeah, that's why I was surprised that, like, your Lakers team, and I'm not even joking, I mean, they do need cheap players. Uh, they're going to need – I mean, they drafted – basically they bought a second-round pick from the Magic on Thursday night to draft a clutch client, <laughs> which that's just – just uh, the Iowa State kid, uh, Murph, that the Lakers drafted is a clutch client. Like, it's phenomenal. It's yes. just you can't make this stuff up, really, only in, only in LA. But I'm surprised that the Lakers wouldn't have given a look to an Aubrey because they need wing players. They need guys who can play the yeah. two or the three right now. That's the part that I'm surprised that he ended up on the Pelicans and not a team like the Lakers that need wing guys, in my opinion. And I think Aubrey could have fit there, uh, don't you? Yeah, I, I get that. Also, I think one of Aubrey's selling points, you know, maybe it's not talked about as much because it's totally painful. Is he is obviously very coachable. Yes. <laughs> and he is going to be a guy who brings um, a work ethic into your locker room. He, he is not – you know what you're getting with him? He is you know, just, a, just a really solid human being. He's not – going to be erratic. He's just very, very solid. You know what you're getting. He's trusting. He can be a leader. He's, you know, he was a leader for UCF this past season. And even, even in the years where he was hurt with UCF, or he was sitting out to do transfer rules at UCF, you know, players talked about how he was basically on the floor in timeouts, you know, doing a lot of things that Johnny Dawkins would do. He's got that mindset with him. So I think having him at least in your locker room or on the floor, that brings value as well. Um, it brings value to a young team, but not a young team like New Orleans, which is trying to build something a little different. I think oh, that, that I don't know if it's Aubrey's skill set. I think already sort of um, sort of presses him out of the picture. But somewhere that works again. I'll repeat myself. Aubrey Dawkins going to play in the NBA. I don't think he'll do it in New Orleans. He's going to play something. Well, I agree. And he's got the pedigree. He's been around in guys that have played in the NBA. He's not going to be in all of any of this stuff. And he, you know, the compa- that reminds me of Seth, Cur- Seth Curry, who's the little brother of Steph mm-hmm. Curry. He didn't get drafted. Everybody's like, ah, he's not. You know, he's obviously not as good as his brother and all that. But he he's been around the league. So when he got his opportunities, he made the most of it. And now he was a big contributor to the Portland Trailblazers in their run into the Western Conference Finals. And I think the the pedigree. Helped them in that, and that's I kind of how I see Aubrey. It may not, and, and by the way, Seth Curry, Portland was not his first team. I think Seth, I think started. He was in Dallas, and he was been in other teams before he kind of found the home. It, it, he, and he's actually a free agent he was this year. Toronto. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. I 
So sometimes, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you might have to. I mean, he may have to bounce around a couple teams. But I agree. I, I think he's a roster guy in the NBA. I think he can contribute minutes. Um, and and I think a Seth Curry is an example of that. So I I wouldn't be discouraged if I'm a UCF fan just because they didn't get drafted. Um, and they're just going on the signing. They obviously have to. It's a very important summer for them. And let me address this because I have this question. I know you've been bombarded with this question. I'm sure as well. Well, by him not being drafted, does that mean he made a mistake to, uh, not coming back for his senior year? And I'm talking about Aubrey. Uh, do you want to take that first, or do you want me to uh, – go ahead. You take that one first, because I know you're fired up about that one every time people ask that. I mean, do people really believe that? Do they really believe I can chill, that I can a man <laughs> – that a man who had spent six years in college, basically, out of high school, he went to a prep school. And in, 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 in the New England area, there was that. Then he was in Michigan. Then he transferred. Then he got hurt. Then he played again, and he was only a junior. He's not coming into the year as a as a twenty four year old junior thinking about how what he can do to become a twenty five year old senior. He then stayed healthy, one, and two, had the best performance of the year on a, on the national stage against the top ranked team in the nation. You have to go. And, and, and Aubrey will not hide from this. He understands there was no choice to be made. As long as he stayed healthy and played well, he was gone. He was always gone. And then at the end of the year, there was moments that just punctuated that, that they had certain that he was going to leave. It was just, can he stay healthy? He did. He played well. He's got to go now. He's not going his seventh year of college. And his stock was not – he could have had the best year ever next year at UCF. He could have led him in scoring. He could have been an all-conference player. Maybe he could have been player of the year and all that stuff. And it would not have it would not have changed his draft status at all. In fact, this was a weak draft, and he still didn't get drafted. Yeah. And next year it's supposed to be stronger. So, And he would have gotten a year older, which is a strike against him. And I'm – you know, so I, I agree with you 100%. That's why – but I had to bring it up because people still ask me. I got a text about it. On third during the draft, because people are like, "So, oh, did he make a mistake?" And that's always the conclusion that people make when a player doesn't get drafted: is did he make a mistake? Uh, I don't. And 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 you're right. What if he gets hurt next year? You know, what if he comes right. back and gets hurt? You know, then what? And now he's really screwed. And and so I I agree a hundred percent. Now you mentioned it's a little tease. It's up right now on Black and Gold Banner. You had a chance to talk to Johnny Dawkins one on one, yeah, uh, via the phone. And you brought up and you no, talked. I, it, 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 when you, when you or not Aubrey, uh, Johnny Dawkins. I, I, I yeah, I came, I came right into Johnny's office. You went to. Campus. Oh, you went to his office. Wow, look at you. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Hey, boo, big time, big time. Hey, go to the office. Um, <laughs> you obviously that article is in there. It's Johnny Dawkins, head coach, and you talked about Aubrey, but you also talked about all the other UCF players as far as their draft prospects. What can you tell us uh, for the audience there to, the, that you wrote about that you found interesting there in that conversation? Well. You know, I think a couple of things about the other guys, you know, obviously, obviously he's going to advocate for all of these young players. He's going he's gonna, to you know, say things that, that make it look like, of course, they belong. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting that he called Chad Brown the, the greatest teammate you could ever have. And I think he honestly believes that. Even we talk about BJ's leadership and, and Aubrey's maturity. But I think, you know, uh, uh, Chad Brown, I think, was, like you said earlier in the podcast, the locker room blue. Uh, for this team, the guy that really held everybody together and was really the motivator. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. Um, he, you know, he called uh, uh, Dayon Griffin uh, probably the best perimeter defender, which is something that I don't think people 
uh, appreciate enough of from day on. We don't really shoot kind of a microwave shooter, but he really does play good defense. Um, and, and I do think there is some bitterness, both on the part of Aubrey and Johnny, of the process that Aubrey is, is basically subjected to because he's 24 and not 20. And Johnny went into detail about this, about how the league, you know, loves the, the teenagers, the 18, 19, 20-year-old kids because they see potential. Well, you know, that potential doesn't always develop. And in, and in that case, they cost themselves a guy in Aubrey Dawkins who has already developed, who has already become the player he's going to become, and he's not a bad player. Uh, and But because of his age, they overlook him. And so uh, there's some bitterness, bitterness there that was pretty evident uh, in talking to Johnny about the process. But, um, you know, it, it, it's nice to see that from obviously a, a coach, but also a father who knows that his son is being looked down upon because of some things that are out of his control. He's 100% right. In fact, that's been the trend. You're right. They always go upside, potential, wingspan, what's your, you know, and, and the 18 to 21 year on the upside. And we are seeing more and more. It used to be that if you didn't get drafted in the first round, you had no chance. Probably a decade mm-hmm. ago or two decades. Now, you're seeing, you're starting to see more and more guys in the second round and even undrafted players being making an impact in the NBA. Let me give you this stat. This past year, from the 2018 NBA draft, 31 undrafted players played minutes this past season in the NBA. 2017 NBA draft, 35 undrafted players played NBA minutes. 2016 NBA draft, 36 players played minutes in the NBA, including the aforementioned Fred Van Vliet uh, with the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not even, I'm not even counting second-round guys like Nikola Jokic, who's probably going to be a top-five NBA final, uh, MVP finalist when they announced the awards this uh, next week, he was a second-round pick. Draymond Green, second-round pick. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, who was a rookie of the year, second-round pick. So you're, you're, And the reason is because these guys that are, quote, older, who play in college longer, they just feel that they're capped as far as their ceiling is concerned, but kind of ignore the fact that they can make an immediate com- uh, contributions to an NBA roster and are prepared to play. It kind of reminds me of what's been happening in college baseball, Murph, that you follow with the ML- MLB draft. More and more college baseball guys are getting drafted now because they're more ready to, to contribute right away to a Major League Baseball roster than a high school kid can. It used to be that you always took the upside in the high school kid, but now we're kind of in a win-now mode and, and, and Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Rosillo broke this down in the NBA draft. For all the talk about the NBA draft in the first round and the top 10 picks, two years ago, this was the 2017 NBA draft, half the top 10 players in that draft have already been traded. Think about yeah. that. So these, these, these management people, have they kind of talk out of their both of their mouth. They talk about upside and potential and patience and long-term but as soon as they see an opportunity to improve right away, they flip them, including – I mean, you're, I mean, again, your Lakers are kind of an example. They've been in the lottery the last six, seven years. You have an opportunity to get Anthony Davis, you just throw them all in there. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that's why you're seeing more and more guys in the second round and undrafted guys making contributions because they slip through the cracks. They find the right situation that fits them. Like Fred Van Vliet is a perfect fit in Toronto. The key is for Aubrey Dawkins and for BJ and, and, and the rest of the guys is to find a spot that's a good fit for them. It may not be the mm-hmm. first spot they, they end up at, but it could be down the road. And I think that's – I agree a lot, 100% with Coach Dawkins has to say about that. 
of the other guys that we haven't brought up here, uh, what, what's your thoughts here? Like, do you think we'll – they might sign a summer – play in summer league, but uh, what do you see from that? the rest of the group there? Well, we do know that at least Chad Brown has been in contact. Yeah. And we know that because he told us on Twitter last night, basically insinuating that he's been getting calls from teams. Very excited about that, but didn't obviously give any uh, specifics on, to, on you know, what teams he's talking with. Uh, we haven't heard anything about you know where he might be going, but there has to be some level of interest there. I don't know about the level of interest that Deion Griffin is getting. I do know that he worked out for the Magic, uh, I believe, on the same day that B.J. Taylor worked out for the Magic. I believe they worked on the same day. Um, I don't know if he's hurting any, you know, anything. And really, we have yet to know what's going to happen with Taco Fall. Uh, and at the draft last night, one of the 18 uninvited you know, draftees who decided to attend anyway uh, in the crowd. Um, but who will take a shot at him? I, I'm sure someone will. Because, yes, the NBA is different, but he is still 7'7". You kind of have to take a shot somewhere, even if you stick him in your or just something to see what, 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 what he is. So I, I do not know what's going to happen with, with Chad and with Dayon. I, I don't think they have long futures. You know, Dayon is just not good enough as a shooter to really stick in the league. And, uh, you know, he's a, good, he's, a good, he's a good defender, but I don't know in the league. He just doesn't stick offensively. Uh, Chad, you know, not very limited off the game, really none at all. He basically relies on layups, putbacks, and, and dunks. But, you know, he's, he's a tenacious guy. He's a rebounding machine. Um, but, again, I, I just don't see where he fits. Um, he's not, you know, really long or overly athletic. He's just – he's a he's an opposing figure at point. Again, I'm kind of rambling. Just I'm, I don't really think I see a place for him to fit in the NBA game. Taco definitely has a chance. Uh, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see where, where he ends up because right now, as of Friday afternoon, we have not heard anything. Right, as we recorded this, it was around uh, 3.38 Eastern time, 4 o'clock Eastern. So there might be some news by the time this comes out. We'll keep you updated on Black and Go Banneret. Murph will keep you updated. We'll keep you updated on social media. Uh, real quick, you talked to Johnny Dawkins, not just about that, but other stuff. What you, what stood out to you? Because, I mean, he hasn't really talked at length uh, since the season ended. I know he talked at the uh, Knights tour, if you will, and I know he's done some radio interviews, but you know how those radio interviews are. It's very kind of cliche type of stuff, you know, generic questions. You got a chance to sit, as you mentioned, sit and talk to him. How what? How's he feeling? Obviously, there's a lot of questions about next season's roster, which I know you kind of touched on a little bit which as well. What, what was your overall uh, thoughts there as you uh, and, and, and take away from your conversation with Coach Dawkins as far as the, as yeah, far as the, 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 the program's concerned? Yeah, I wanted to hit obviously on a lot of different topics and some topics including what happened last season. Because again, like you said, we really hadn't talked to him since the Duke game, since after the Duke game. They, he's been on the road recruiting and all the seniors and all of the drafty guys kind of went their own separate ways. So I wanted to catch up and, and you know, I, I, we did talk a little bit about recruiting. We talked a little bit about Brandon Mahan, the transfer guard from Texas, Texas A&M. He will sit out this year due to transfer roles, but, you know, he's another shooter that they're bringing into the program. Uh, you know, I, I, talk, I asked him how he's recruiting different this year as opposed to last year following that fantastic season. And he talked a lot about how more recognition, uh, there's people that know your brand more, so that obviously helps. But I think the most interesting parts, other than the other than what he said about Aubrey and, and Aubrey's age being held against him, that was uh, an honest and enlightening. I thought the best parts of the interview was when you know, really about the Duke game. 
I mean, I go back to that because there's so much to unpack there that I want to get his thoughts on. One, he basically, he basically said he'll never watch the Duke game. He's yet to watch it. Uh, between that and the 1986 championship game against Louisville that Duke lost, so those are two games that he will never watch or has yet to watch. So it's amazing to me. You know, we sit here and I talk about how much I've watched that Duke game because it's so good. To Johnny Dawkins, it still really hurts, and it's probably going to hurt for a long time, and he will never see it again, which is uh, amazing. And, and then, uh, secondly, we talked about the locker room video after the game. The, the thing that went totally viral, very emotional speech he gave. Uh, you know, it was aired on ESPN, a lot of national TV networks. I asked him what he wanted to take away from that, and he got very honest about how this is not just about sports. You know, we talk a lot about winning and losing. But we needed, you know, this is about, you know, growing young men and, and making sure that they know we care about them more than what the results show on the court. You know, we want to come together as a, as a team, as a brotherhood, and create real friendships. And, and I think you saw that. That's what threw the emotion out of there. Not that they, their season was over, but that, that was the last time they were all going to be together. And uh, I, I think, you know, having Johnny speak on that video, his reception, the positive feedback he's gotten saw the video and then what it meant to him that it went viral and what he what he wanted to take away from it. Uh, I thought it was pretty eye opening. I like to hear coaches talk honestly about emotional moments. You know, not just coach be cliche in between the lines stuff. So yeah, all that's up on Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, it's about Johnny Dawkins talking about I think the article has mentioned uh, the, the title mentions how he talks about the NBA draft and, and Brandon Megan. But uh, there's a bunch of stuff in there that I think is pretty good. And, uh, yeah, definitely go check it out. And, uh, you know, hey, I know football season is, is closing in upon us, but I, I do I do really enjoy basketball, college basketball season. And with coaches like Johnny Dawkins, it's very accessible. Yeah, I enjoyed the read. I recommend everybody a great chat with Coach Dawkins. Uh, great work from Brian. And check it out right now on the blackandgobanneret.com. And it was very fascinating. But I can understand why he wouldn't watch the game. I mean, obviously, having been the coach there, being so close to a sweet 16, and the fact that his – his son had the tip in and almost went in, and his son was obviously heartbroken. I'll never forget that video where he had to comfort his son. And, and, yeah. and so I can understand the pain out of that, whereas, you know, losers like you and me, Murph, we're just media guys. We can watch whatever. We're, we're, <laughs> what? just, we're just glad you were there. <laughs> I told, I, you know, when Johnny said, you know, he has had to watch it, I go, oh, you really should watch it. It's a great game. And he just laughs, and he goes, yeah, for you. <laughs> like, yeah, it's for us, but for those who experienced it, yeah, <laughs> and, and he still has, and the passion he has for basketball, and I've booked him, and I've talked to him, obviously as well. I put, when I was producer at Radio Stage, I would book him in it. But he loves talking basketball, not just college, but the NBA. Because you even mentioned in the article, you guys even talked about the NBA Finals at some point, right? About Nick Nurse yeah. and his coat, which was phenomenal. Which is, and I'm thinking, and I'm envisioning that, like, oh yeah, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> yeah, because we, we were talking about how Taco fits into you know the NBA landscape, and you know Johnny brought up how coaches need to be inventive and creative to make Taco work and fit in the NBA. So we were talking about, we were talking about, you know, uh, creative coaches and their coaching schemes. And it kind of got off the track. That's why I didn't really, I didn't really put in the full transcript of our conversation, but we kind of got into the conversation how, like, look at Nick Nurse. I mean, here's a guy who in the NBA Finals breaks out a box and one defense that a lot of these pros may not have seen since high school. And it shut down, it shut down Stephen Curry. It basically turned the momentum in game two for, for Toronto. Uh, but, you know, those kind of coaches, those guys who think outside the box, those are the guys you need around Taco Fall. 
and see, you know, if they can mold him into something, you know, more than just, oh, he's really big and tall. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of entertaining stuff uh, gave you know, with Johnny just talking basketball. And again, something that's not always basketball, so that's emotional and relationships. That's that's really cool as well. Yeah, awesome, awesome stuff there. And we'll follow it. We'll see where everybody else ends up in NBA Summer League, which will be televised on ESPN and NBA TV. Is going to be, you know, I think UCF will be kind of some of the storylines there with Aubrey Dawkins, with Zion and the Pelicans, and BJ yes. Taylor. Which, yeah, <laughs> Murph. Oh, that's the juicy storyline. Murph's already working his brain. I, I could see that very easily. And then BJ Taylor with the Orlando Magic. I think it's a fascinating storyline. You know, the local kid. Played high school ball in local here in Boone, and then obviously UCF now with the Magic. Can he make the Magic? And I'll throw this prediction out. It wouldn't surprise me, even if he doesn't make the Magic roster. Keep in mind, the Magic have a G League team in Lakeland. Wouldn't it, mm. make, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a UCF star, right? A local kid play in Lakeland, right? Wouldn't be bad for business, as they say. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Just throwing that out there as a prediction. I don't know. Um, yeah. All right, that'll, that'll do it for here. Uh, we're we're going to be back uh, probably next week. There's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. Baseball news we'll get into next week. But uh, we've, you know, we, me and Murph could talk basketball for hours. I mean, in fact, him and I will probably record a Laker podcast after this and just break down who's <laughs> who's going to who's going to fill out that roster. <laughs> oh goodness! They're um, gonna, like they're going to just have like people who are like, in their fifties, like. Doing the veterans minimum, I'm like, hey, just sit on the bench. That's all we need. Oh God. Does uh, it does it concern yeah. you that you probably should be justified to feel that you're probably more qualified right now than Rob Palenka as far as running the Lakers? Like literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, oh God, I can't hear. Sorry, I had with Lakers friends of mine, and we're all just flapping. But hey, you know what? We got Anthony Davis and LeBron. So yay! Wait, will they stay healthy? Who knows? Whoa. I can't wait to see how this roster plays out over there. Um, and it's going to be wild. And the Pelicans are involved in it. It's phenomenal. So, but, um, but that'll do it for this episode, of course, Je- for Jeff, who uh, went off and we threw him out. Uh, actually, you'll see him on blackandgobanneret.com. I think he's going to be on, on the Mark Rogers show again. I don't know what the topic is. It's probably it's usually college football. So if you miss football, look for that because I'm sure that'll be posted with Jeff uh, down the road. And then uh, Murph has got this exclusive interview with Johnny Dawkins. That's on blackandgobanneret.com right now. You can follow us on uh, Twitter there. And Murph, where they can fi- follow you? Oh, I'm at Spokes underscore Murphy, as always. As always. Uh, uh, I can be, I can be followed at Eric Lopez. I'm going to be following all this NBA stuff because that's what I do uh, on that. And I have up, as I mentioned, I'm doing a top 25 games of the year from the 2018-2019 athletic year in UCF. The greatest year in UCF athletics year history with the success on the field. And I'm going to try to break that down into 25 games from the athletic year with all their sports in it. It somehow, some way. This is commitment. This is definitely commitment. It's called summer programming. Uh, content as well. Content. Uh, nice content. Content, yes. Uh, follow us on UCF underscore Banneret as well on Twitter. So, for Jeff Sharon, who left us, for Brian Murphy, I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret. <laughs>